Well, hey, good morning again. Uh, my name is Joe Polino. If I haven't uh, had the opportunity to meet you, and I serve as lead pastor here, and it is a joy to be a part of this church family and awesome people here. Uh, and if you're just joining us, uh, we have been in the letter of Ephesians for most of the year. Uh, and uh, this letter of Ephesians is powerful, and it's beautiful, and it's written by the Apostle Paul, and he helped start this church in Ephesus. And so this letter, uh, sometimes we forget that this letter was written to an actual church uh, back in Ephesus, uh, and uh, Paul was actually writing this letter while he was in prison. And I think it's profound to me that if I was in prison, uh, I would probably write to send the best attorney you have to get me out or send some sort of treat or chocolate that I can't get. But instead, what Paul ends up writing is what some theologians say is the best summary of the good news of Jesus we have in the Bible. It's really powerful. And so we have been slowly going through the book of Ephesians. So we're going to continue to do that this morning. Uh, and as we've been going through this letter, we've been praying this prayer that Jesus prayed in John 17 for the future church, for us. Before he went to the cross, Jesus prayed for those who would believe in his message that they would be made one with him, one with God, one with one another, so the world would know who Jesus is. That's our paraphrase for what Jesus prayed, that we would be one with one another in the same way that he and the Father are one, so that the world would know who he is. And so that's where we've been, and that's where we're going to continue to go this fall. So if you have your Bibles and want to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, that's where we're going to be today. But as you're turning there, this scripture reminded me of a question that I first heard when I was in business class when I went to Baylor. I was in a uh, entrepreneurial finance class. It was a very interesting class. I was a finance major. And uh, part of the class that seemed odd to me is we read a book called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. So I was like, I don't really you know, know how this fits into finance, but I read the book thinking it would be somewhat of a, uh, a lame assignment, but it actually was very profound and, and deeply impacted my life. And the, the one habit, uh, habit number two, that I'm about to talk with you about was so profound, I never forgot it. And he asked this question. He asked this question, what would you like for people to say about you at your funeral? What would you like people to say about you at your funeral? So think uh, with me, imagine your life has come to an end. I'm sorry, it's a sad note. But you're, there are people are gathering at your funeral. What would you want said about you? And as you think about that question, think about who you want there and what's said about you there. Capture those things and I want you to live your life beginning with the end in mind. Live with the, the, the end goal as your starting point and set your trajectory on that. And so when you have your funeral, you're probably not going to be thinking about, I hope they list off all of my awesome qualities on my resume or my great LinkedIn profile or the achievements that I had or how I looked or you know, what, what I achieved. What you hope is that people talk about the impact you made on their life. You hope about like what, what is something lasting that you left behind because you can't take your bank account, you can't take your wardrobe, you can't take the stuff that you've accumulated, but what is lasting that's, that you can leave behind? It's powerful. So I want to ask you that same question 
Church, individuals, guests, what would you like people to say about you at your funeral? Maybe a little bit of a heavy question. Welcome to Antioch, Dallas. What would you like people said at your funeral? But really, it is a powerful question, and I think a really helpful one. And what we're about to read is going to help us answer this question. What we're about to read in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, I believe will help every one of us answer that question. And so here's what we're talking about today. We're going to talk about today what a life well lived looks like according to God. Because you might have your opinion of what you want people to say at your funeral. We all have opinions and people have opinions, but what does God say? That's the opinion that I care about and I hope you care about. And so we're going to go to God's word. And here's what we're going to see from God's word. Here's a preview. This is our roadmap for today. A life well lived looks like someone who receives God's, God's love, walks with God in love, and gives up their lives in love. A life well lived looks like someone who receives God's love, God's love walks with God in love, and gives up their lives in love. Okay, so let's turn to Ephesians 5, chapter 1. I mean, chapter, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. And we're going to only read two verses today. And I thought today, oh, it's only going to be two verses. And uh, maybe I'll get a little bit, you know, maybe this will be an easy one. And uh, I'll just say on the front end, I was very pressed in my heart. I feel like God really did a number in me. So uh, I pray that anything good that's coming out is because it's been pressed down in me like oil. So let's read it. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So it's so short. I'm going to read it again. I'm going to read it again slowly. I want you to read it again with me. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So God, we do come before you and ask that you would speak to us today through your word. Would you show us what a life well lived looks like? Would you get me out of the way? And would you speak to each person here what they need to hear? In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. So number one, a, well, a well-lived life, according to God, looks like someone who receives his love. So let's look at where we get that. So in verse one, we're just going to take this section by section. In that first section, it says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. And where it says that, follow God's example, that word can also be translated, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And I've heard it said, and you've probably heard it said, that imitation is the highest form of flattery. Uh, and so what it's saying here is that we often imitate people that we love and admire. And it should be the same with us as beloved children to imitate God. Um, this is going to be kind of cute with my kids who are ages six and under. And so sometimes they will imitate me in what I'm doing with work by grabbing their toy laptop and their books and coming up next to me and pretending like they're drinking coffee when I'm at home working in my office. It's really cute. They want to imitate their working like that. You know, it's not as cute. It's actually convicting when they start to imitate your flaws 
or imitate the things that you don't want them to say. You know, do as I say, not as I do. And uh, there's, <laughs> there's one uh, that I realized, I didn't know that I did this until they started imitating me, is that when I get frustrated or flustered, sometimes I can let out like a audible groan, like a, ugh, like a moose or something. And so watching my two-year-old noble go around and he can't figure something out and he goes, ugh. And then Amy looks at me like, I wonder where he got that. I'm like, careful, careful. So now we just make a joke about it and Amy and I will just look at each other and for frustrated, just like, ugh, ugh. So I didn't know that I did that, but they're imitating me. Um, you know, well, this text, what it means is that as God's dearly loved children, you know, we're to follow his example and walk in the way of love just like Jesus. And this is a model for a well-lived life. This is a model for it. But my kids are around me, and I'm intentionally trying to teach them things. So if we're going to follow God's example, then where do we look? How do we know how to act? How do we see what, uh, what God's like? And the obvious answer, but one that I think is, uh, is powerful, is that the Bible tells us what God's like. The Bible tells us what God, what God is like from Genesis to Revelation. And uh, we really could sit here all day and all night and list off the attributes of God. But here's just a list I put up on the screen of just ones that stuck out to me of this is what God is like. And I just, as I read them, just want to have them wash over you. This is what God is like. This is your father. This is the example for us to follow. God is love. God is gracious. God is patient. He is pursuing. He is generous, extravagantly generous. He's joyful. He's redeeming. He's forgiving. He's merciful. He's just. He's holy. He's mighty. God is gentle, humble, kind, and good. That's what our God is like. We should look to him as our example and follow in his ways. But we can look to scripture from Genesis to Revelation, but if you're like me and you like a shortcut, you want a Bible hack, if you want to know what God is like, just look at, look at Jesus, and you'll see all of these qualities Hebrews 1 through 3 says that uh, in many ways, God has spoken to us in the past through prophets and different people. But in these last days, it says in verse 3 that he has spoken to us through his son. And it says that his son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact rep representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he, Jesus, provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the, majesty, of the majesty in heaven. If you want to know what God is like, go to the Gospels, the Gospel of John or Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and just read and see what Jesus is like, and you will have an example for what God is like. So that is true. That is right. But if you're feeling in this room that, hey, that. Okay, if you stop there, okay, follow this example, those character qualities, go out and do that. That's not really helpful, Joe. Uh, that's kind of like saying, okay, 
go and be holy like God is holy. It's like, well, hey, there's a reason like God is God and I'm not. Like I, 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 I struggle to do that. How do I go from actually wanting to be like God to actually doing it? And here's the key. Here's where the good news is and not just a impossible homework assignment to give to you. We do want to be, become like God, but what is the fuel? What is the means by which we do that? I think in verse one, the, the key in Ephesians 5 is where it says that we are to follow in his example as dearly loved children, as dearly loved children. That is the key. How do we become a child of God? Is it by being a good person? Is it by following the Ten Commandments? That's not what Scripture says. That's not what Jesus says. How do we become a child of God? It's by, number one, we recognize our need for him. We need forgiveness. We fall short that we're not holy and that there's a holy God. We recognize our need, number one. And number two, we recognize that God loves us and has come to meet our need in Jesus. And as we put our trust in him, we surrender our lives to him. And in John 1.12, it says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. All, that's a powerful word, word. say with me, all. To everyone who would come, to those who've been, you know, coming to church and trying to do the right thing and those who have rebelled and done the exact opposite of a moral life. It says all who come to him and would, and would believe in him and receive him have the right to become children of God. As dearly loved children of God, that is how we are to follow him. In Ephesians 2, we've been going through Ephesians, so I've got to sprinkle some Ephesians in there. In Ephesians 2, it gives us this beautiful reminder. I'll say it again. Beginning in verse 1, this is our state on our own merit. It says, as for you, you were dead in your tra transgressions and sins in which you used to walk, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest of us, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So it says here, as for you, as for us, all of us, we used to be spiritually dead. We're physically alive, but when we're born, we're actually born into a fallen world where we are spiritually separated from God. And we followed the ways of the world. We didn't imitate God, we followed the ways of the world. We didn't follow the way of love. We followed the way of our desires and our flesh. And it says all of us live like that. But that's only half the story. You keep reading. In verse 4, it says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Praise God. Man, so to follow God's example, we need to receive God's love, number one, as his children. And as I was thinking about this, I was like, okay, I know this truth. Help it go down deeper. Uh, as I was uh, researching this, I came across uh, a book by Watchman Nee. I have a picture of Watchman Nee. Watchman Nee he is a Chinese teacher in the 1920s, a great teacher. He wrote some books, and he wrote a book on Ephesians. And he uh, summarized Ephesians in three words. You ready? Sit, walk, stand. 
sit, walk, stand. And if you look at the book of Ephesians, the first part talks about how when Jesus went to the cross and he raised from the dead, that God seated him with, uh, seated him at the right hand of the Father and that we too are seated with him. We just read it in Ephesians 2, that we are seated with him. And then the next is walk and stand. It's amazing. And I was trying to imagine this. Okay, so help me to imagine like sitting. Sitting is a resting posture. How do we receive something? And I was just thinking about these two images and maybe one of them will land for you. Imagine if you were a prisoner of war, okay? So I know we're, you know, Dallas, Texas, Sunday morning. Uh, It's a big shift, but hey, you're now a prisoner of war, okay? So you are a prisoner and the general of the army makes his way to you. And he says, I've actually come to free you, and I'm going to free you, but I'm going to take your place. And you're going to go free, and there's a plane that's going to airlift you out of here and take you home. All you need to do is receive it. And in a way, that is a, uh, a picture of what Christ has done for us, that we were trapped. That we were dead in our transgressions, no way out, and Jesus came as the king, as the commander, and said, I'm going to take your place. And then when you get on that plane, you are seated, you're resting, you're not doing anything, but you're being taken up. You're taken back home. And I just was thinking about that, Lord, help me to to just receive what you've done for me. You know, and then the other picture uh, is that of a banquet or a feast. And it says that uh, in, in, in the gospel of Luke, in verse 14, that there's that kingdom of God is like a master of ceremonies who creates this banquet. And he's a king, and he sends out the invitations to the highways and byways and invites people in to sit down at the banquet that's been prepared for them. And actually to go a step further, to actually become a part of his family, to be adopted into the royal family. That is the type of good news that we have, church, when we receive God's love. Okay? Man, I just want to read this quote from Watchman Nee from his book, Sit, Walk, Stand. He said this, The first lesson we must learn is this, that the work is not initially ours at all, but is his. It is not that we work for God, but that he works for us. God gives us our position of rest. He brings his son's son's finished work and presents it to us, and then he says to us, please sit. His offer to us cannot, I think, be better expressed than in the words of the invitation to the great banquet. Come, for all things are now ready. Our Christian life begins with the discovery of what God has provided for us. And so really, a life well lived doesn't start with you. It starts with what God's done for you and for us to recognize that. So that's number one. In order to live a life well lived, according to the scripture, we need to receive God's love for us as his beloved children. So what's the next point? I'm going to keep going. Ephesians 1, 2, 1 and 2 says that we must walk in the way of love. It says in verse uh, 1 and 2, it says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So we're going to focus in on that phrase and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us. Well, if the first step is for us to receive his love, which is amazing, but the second step is that we would actually walk in the same way, follow his example as Jesus did. 
Seven times in the book of Ephesians, it uses the word walk to describe your lifestyle. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling you've received. You, know, you used to walk in this way, but now you walk as a children of light. And here it says, walk in the way of love. So why does this matter to us? Well, I think for me growing up, uh, if you want to go back to that sit, walk, stand uh, imagery of Watchman Nee, I would really uh, focus on the sit part of like, okay, I, am, uh, I have received God's salvation and I know that I'm going to stand firm and wait for that day when I'm in heaven, but I did not understand that there was this whole walking part that's in between. And I think if we miss this part, we will miss out on the abundant life that Jesus came to give us. If we miss out on the walking with Jesus part, we miss out on the abundant life Jesus came to give us. Like Jesus said in John 10, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full abundantly. So what does it look like to walk with Jesus? Well, back in biblical times, there were Jewish teachers called rabbis and these rabbis would go to Hebrew schools and they would pick the brightest of uh, the, the students there, which were all boys. And so these boys, maybe ranging from ages you know, eight to 12 or so, uh, they would be selected. And if you were selected to follow a rabbi and you said, yes, I wanna be a disciple of you, many times these boys would leave their homes, leave their cities, and they would go and they would not just learn under him information, they wanted to become like this rabbi. So they would look at his way of life. They would actually, uh, there was a cost involved in following him. And so when Jesus came and he called his disciples, it was not a foreign concept. They understood what a disciple meant. And I think for us, it's important for us to know that it means the similar thing for us. That when we say that we want to follow Jesus, he's inviting us to come and become like him. And there's actually a leaving of the lifestyle that we have and finding a, a different path to follow him. The difference is, is that it's not just uh, the Jewish uh, young boys uh, that are learning the Torah that he's called. It says every man, woman, and child of every tribe and tongue Jesus calls to follow him. It's amazing. So he's calling us to follow him like that. Man, and I, uh, and the part, um, but I, I heard about this as I was growing up, but it didn't really connect. In fact, one teacher, I was in high school and uh, I was in a Bible class and uh, I can't remember if it was church or, or where it was, but I remember this teacher saying that we should all want to become like Jesus. And I'd never heard that statement before, that I should be want to become like Jesus. I was like, but Jesus died so that I wouldn't have to. I was like, Jesus lived a pretty hard life. Uh, he died on the cross. Uh, he, was, uh, he did not have a home. He didn't have a wife or kids. And he had a big responsibility, this whole saving the world thing. I don't really want to become like Jesus. Like, hey, it's not for me. I appreciate him. I love him. But I don't really know if I want to walk that way. I don't know if I want to walk that way. Anyone else have those thoughts before? Maybe, maybe I'm the only one. But hey, like just seeing like, do I really want to become like Jesus? Um, in Colossians 2, 6 says this, it says, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, 
abounding in thanksgiving. And I had heard about Jesus dying for me on the cross, and I believed it. But at that point in my life, I was still looking at the circumstances of my life as more important than Jesus himself. And I still am there to this day. I said, like, I was pressed this week just thinking about this and sitting in it. It's like, Lord, do I believe this? Do I believe I really want to become like you? Because when I become like you and I walk in the way of love, the love that Jesus talks about is different than the world's love. The love, it says, walk in the way of love just as Jesus loved us. Well, how did Jesus love us? Love us. It says in John 13, 34, as Jesus was washing his disciples' feet, he says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And then in John 15, it says a little bit later, he says, greater love has no one than this, than those that lay down their life for their friends. And so this love, I love love. I love to be loved. But this type of love of walking in the way is a, is a costly one. It's one that is sacrificial. It's one that will hurt. Do I really want that, Lord? And, uh, and I was wrestling with this. I wrestled with this a little bit this week, but it really came to a head for me when I was um, out of college in my first job. And I was trying to decide what I was going to do after my first job. I was really involved with my church. I was following Jesus, but I could just feel inside me that there was this pull towards the world. And I can still follow Jesus, but maybe if I just, what if, what if I just hedge a little bit? What if I just, you know, I don't need to be so radical. What if I just go get a good job, good salary? What, what if I do that? But then there was this other side where I was like, no, I need, to, I need to go all in and I should just go and sell my possessions and just go all in. And I was just like, Lord, I don't know what to do. And I was in this place for months because I was trying to decide what to do. And maybe this resonates with you of like being in a affluent society, but like how, what does it look like to follow Jesus? And I just, I, when I didn't know uh, what the answer was, I got this picture in my head as I was in tears before God, just saying, God, just tell me what to do. And it was of me standing at a fork in the road and there was one path to the left and one path to the right. And I felt like I was the rich young ruler in that parable where he's saying, hey, come follow me, but go and sell everything. And I was just like, oh, God, that hurts. I don't know what that looks like. So I was just, I was willing myself to say, I choose you, I choose you, I choose you. Would you tell me what to do? And after weeks of this, I'll never forget, this is a really dramatic turning point in my life. It changed my perspective. Is as I was picturing that, I was saying, God, just tell me, left or right? Um, I felt like God said, Joe, there's a reason why you've been praying about this and I haven't given you an answer. It's because I can tell you in a second which way to go, but I want to go with you on the way. And you're not asking me to go with you. You're, you're, you're picturing it like you're being sent on a mission on your own. And that's not what it looks like to walk in the way of love. You walk with me. And I broke down in, in tears because I realized, like, I was living as an orphan in that moment, thinking about, okay, I want to follow you, God. I want to do this. And he was like, son, I'm going with you. Whether you choose the job with, you know, in Dallas or this salary or this, you know, hey, 
I'm with you. I just want to walk with you. Will you do that with me? And I just think like there, there's, some, there's an invitation for us again today for the grace of God, for the love of God to fill us up. When we walk in the way of love, yes, it's costly, but it's worth it. And he walks with us. It is the abundant life to walk with us. How do we, how do we know this love? Well, one of the ways we do that is we walk in community with each other. In Ephesians 3, it says that together with all the Lord's holy people, we have power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. We need God's people with us. And so just, uh, man, I just hope that story is encouraging to you, uh, encouraging to you today because I believe God wants to invite you to walk with him in the way of love. Amen? Okay. So the last point. A life well lived looks like someone who gives up their lives in love. So we have a life well lived, according to this scripture, is one who receives God's love, walks with God in love, and gives up their lives in love. Ephesians 5, 1 through 2 again, follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So what does that mean? Jesus gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering to God. I think we can lean on the grace of God because it is true and it is unending grace. But one of the things that we don't want to do as a church is to look at it as cheap grace. Dietrich Bonhoeffer coined this phrase of costly grace. He was a pastor and uh, worked to subvert the Nazis in World War II. He, he, um, and he ended up losing his life as a martyr for Christ. And he said, yes, like this grace is amazing, but it is not a cheap grace. It is a costly grace. It came at a great price to God, a great price. It says, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. You are the joy. You and I are the joy. God's glory is a joy. It was a fragrant offering to God when he went to the cross. And it's because of that that we're here today. And that Jesus is inviting us into this same way of living and this same way of love to give up your life. Give up your life for him and for them. It's paradoxical. It doesn't make sense. But Jesus says this in Matthew 16, verse 24 when he's talking to his disciples. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. For what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? It seems costly to sell everything, to lay down those things, to deny yourself, to pick up your cross, but you actually are gaining what is most valuable. You're gaining that which you cannot lose. You're gaining that which will not disappoint and will actually satisfy. But there is a cost. There is a fragrant offering to God. Uh, and uh, I want to do this illustration. Uh, can I get some help from Matt and Donnie? So I saw this illustration in college, but um, it really helped me to get perspective on this whole a life well-lived thing. So I saw this illustration in college. It's this rope that represents 
uh, eternity that just goes on and on and on and on. Uh, I didn't have a rope, but I do have electrical wire from my house that's being redone. So this will do quite nicely if they can hold it taut enough. So imagine from beginning to end is just all of eternity, and it's just never ending, just like ongoing from eternity past to eternity future. And your life and mine is in many ways like a dot. You can't even see it. There's a mint. <laughs> but it's like a dot on this, on this timeline of eternity. And what God is trying to say is that you have an opportunity, church, to live a life in such a way that it would be a fragrant offering to me forever. It's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. And there's so many times this week where I was just, I was talking with Amy in tears saying, it's so painful sometimes to say, God, here's my life because I have selfishness. I have flesh. I have, and it's, it's, it's not that I'm a martyr. God gives me good things to enjoy. He's a good father. Every good gift, every good and perfect gift is from him. They, they flow downstream from him. So it's not about, you know, it's not about that. But what it is about is choosing where am I going to put my life and how am I going to live in light of eternity? So thank you guys for that illustration. Can we give them a hand? Woo! So just as I close, I wanted to leave you with one, one picture of this, of a life that is a fragrant offering. It's Mary of Bethany. So Mary of Bethany, she is one of the very few stories that actually make it into every single of the four Gospels. She anoints Jesus' feet with oil. It says this in Mark 14. While he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Mark 14, 3. And people were indignant because of how expensive this was. Couldn't this have been used in different ways? And, and this is what Jesus said in verse 6. Leave her alone, Jesus said. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. And then he says in verse 9, Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Her sacrifice, her life will be remembered forever. And for us, church, let's lean in and to say, God, I want to receive your love as a child. I want to live a life worthy. I want to walk in the way of love. And I also want to be a fragrant offering. And if we can do that together, man, I just, I, there's no limit to what God would do in and through us as a church. So I want to Close with that and have our prayer team and our worship team come up. And I want to bring back up that picture of this, the fork in the road. And as I was preparing for this, I just realized that in this room, whether you have a big decision coming up or not, every single day is a choice to either walk with Jesus or to not. And it's, it's a joy to walk with him. 
And so I just feel like what God wants to do uh, with a few people here today, maybe this is you, is just to give a fresh invitation just to walk with him. And he does it. He's not coming uh, with heavy-handedness or harshness, but he's coming as a father saying, I want to walk with you on the road, and I want to surround you. And so uh, we're going to have our prayer and prophetic team up here. And if you need someone to come and partner with you in prayer, maybe you're at a decision point. Maybe you felt this pull. Maybe there's things in your life you're having trouble let go of. And you're like, I want to see Jesus as the most beautiful treasure to give up everything for. I just want to say, man, we would love to pray with you. We would love to partner with you. But uh, yeah, I just want us to respond to God. So let's do that. Let's all stand. And we'll have the prayer team up. And I'm going to pray and just encourage you to respond. Respond to whatever God leads you to. And if you're here and you don't know Christ, and you're saying, man, I still feel far from him. I've never actually surrendered my life to him. I'm going to say, today's the day. Or today could be the day, if you're ready for that. So I just want to lead us in a time of praying. And just, again, surrendering to Jesus afresh out of a thankful heart again. Lord, thank you for your word. God, thank you that a life well lived uh, is one that is first recognizing how you have loved us and recognizing how you want to walk with us and recognizing what you've done for us on the cross. And so, Lord, I pray that your joy, God, I pray that your love, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would breathe on us, God, to see our lives, even if it's just this little speck, as a way to give you glory, give you honor. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.